Well, this morning, it's time for a confession. This year marks, or this week marks, ten years uh, that I've been in Otley, seven years as pastor, and it's time that you knew something about me as a church, something that I've kept mostly private uh, for a long time, and that is that I... I'm trying to give Rose the nod. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I am a... Tr- oh, no, it's not oh, hang on. Uh, it's all right, I've got a backup plan. There we go. No, it's okay. It just it's needs... There's a blank one. And then... Oh, I've seen it before. Okay. <laughs> Everyone else has seen there it. There we go. I am a Trekkie. <laughs> uh, I know that lots of you know that I'm a fan of Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. Uh, But for much longer than that, actually, I've been an avid follower of Star Trek, especially Star Trek The Next Generation. I can quote lines from it. I know not just character names, but actors' names. And most of all, I know the opening. This is where I find out it's the winners. (laughs) Every episode began the same way, setting out what the show was about. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. And that's what they did. They explored strange new worlds. They sought out new life and new civilizations. They went boldly where no one had gone before. What was good about it was the mission was clear. And every episode you were reminded of what the mission was. Now, as a church, we don't have opening credits, but once a year, we do have this, our church anniversary, our vision day, where we remind ourselves of our mission, giving thanks for the year that has gone, but looking forward to the year that's ahead. And as a church, we too have a mission statement. It's this, to teach Christ in his word for mission, ministry, and maturity to the glory of God. In other words, to glorify God by preaching Christ, teaching the Bible, and loving others. I think that second one's a bit more catchy. As we do that, though, we want to see thriving churches. We want to see our own church here, thriving in Otley. And we still long to see other churches with the same vision planted elsewhere across the Wharf Valley. So to help us refocus our mission this morning, I'm going to take us those three things through those three things that we stand for. The three things that form our mission as a church. Then afterwards we're going to think of the implications from the year ahead. We're going to do that looking at our passage that we have read before. So first of all, our first mission objective and longest section, preaching Christ. What is the mission? It is to preach Christ. Look at what Paul says in our passage in chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Give the people what they want. That's what the saying goes, isn't it? But Paul, if you think about it, he's having none of that, is he? The Jews of Paul's day wanted miraculous signs. The non-Jews wanted clever wisdom and philosophy. And do you know what? Paul could do both those things. He'd been there, done that, got the t-shirt. But what Paul gives them is Christ. Not signs and wonders, not style and wisdom. He gives them Christ. 
It's not that Paul can't do those things, but he knows what people really need. Of course, the man that he's talking about, Christ, wasn't even the one they really wanted. He was unknown by most. Do you notice, interestingly here, the Jews weren't seeking their Messiah. They were seeking signs, they were seeking miracles. They didn't want a man, they wanted a marvel. And what a man Paul gives them. You can imagine the conversation, can't you? The Messiah has come. Oh yeah? Who is he? The renowned king of an empire, the mighty warrior like Alexander or Caesar? Uh, No, he's a carpenter's son from Nazareth. Where's Nazareth? A woodworker from somewhere that we've never heard of. This is what you're telling us about. This is your big message. This is the promised Messiah we've been waiting for. Come on, Paul, give us a sign. Give us some clever speech or a riddle or something. Give us some entertainment. We don't want to hear about some nobody called Jesus. Jesus Christ would have seemed foolish to them. They wouldn't want the man, but more than that, they wouldn't want the method either. Paul preaches Christ. Now, I'm old enough that I can remember uh, the 80s, and I've turned 40 this week, so just about. But uh, I remember the singer Madonna in her early career. One of her big hits was Papa Don't Preach. I'm always worried that one of my boys is going to come and sing that to me one day. (laughs) (laughs) But it sums up the world thinking very well, doesn't it? The last thing we want is someone preaching. Being preachy is a bad thing. So what does Paul do? He comes preaching Christ. He heralds him like Terry, the town crier in Otley. He pronounces him, he proclaims him. There is, of course, a place for dialogue and discussion and debate. But not as a replacement for preaching of Christ. Just as the man himself was unpopular, the chosen method is unpopular too. And if you think about it, if this is your plan for the church, to grow the church, it sounds crazy. A foolish choice. The world doesn't want a church that preaches. It wants a church that it deems useful. So, for example, if we cancelled our service next week and went into the market square and started litter picking instead of preaching, the world would applaud us. If we stopped preaching the Bible and started raising money for local charities, it would think that we were great. But nobody will applaud us for preaching Christ. In fact, if we went to the market square and I got a microphone and started preaching the gospel, I guarantee you that somebody would ask us to stop within the first five minutes. Nobody gives us a pat on the back for preaching the gospel. There is one exception, but we'll come to that uh, in a minute. But preaching seems a daft way of going about building the church, doesn't it? It seems foolish. And it gets even worse, though. Paul preaches Christ crucified. It's not just the man and the method. The message about the man is unpopular and seemingly foolish. Paul proclaims Christ crucified. Not Christ your buddy. Not Christ the great moral teacher. Not even Christ risen and ascended. There are churches that proclaim those things without Christ crucified. Embarrassed by the cross because it seems so unpleasant. Embarrassed by the cross because it doesn't seem clever enough. Embarrassed by the cross because it doesn't fit with the message of worldly prosperity and comfort that they preach. But Paul preached Christ 
crucified, a crucified Messiah, one who suffered and bled and died to pay the price of the evil of his people, the sin of his people. That's not a very palatable message, is it? It doesn't sound as clever or as mystical as the Buddhist Eightfold Path. It doesn't sound as intellectually robust as some trendy ism that people follow. But there it is. Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay for our sins, so that we might know forgiveness, new life, and a restored relationship with our Father God. The way that we receive that is putting our trust in Christ alone to save us. Now that might sound crazy, but it's true. That is what Paul preached. That is what we preached. But to those outside, it can sound crazy. And if it couldn't get any more death sounding, that was all that Paul preached. So if you look at chapter one, uh, sorry, chapter two, verses one to two. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Could you imagine being with Paul? What's your sermon about today, Paul? Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for our sins. What's it on next week, Paul? Jesus Christ and his death on our cross for our sins. What about midweek Bible study? Jesus Christ and his death on our cross for our sins. What about next month? Oh, next month we're studying Exodus. What's that about? Jesus Christ and his death on, our, on the cross for our sins. There's a mocking rebuke for preachers that sometimes goes uh, based on an old hymn. It says, 10,000,000 are their texts, but all their sermons won. <laughs> and there's a danger there, isn't there? Preaching that pays no attention to the text. Preaching that is monotonous or boring. But there is a sense in which all talks, sermons, all preaching should be covering one topic. Christ crucified. The Baptist preacher C.H. Spurgeon once famously said, The motto of all true servants of God must be, We preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. There should be a sense in which our preaching should be a broken record calling us to repentance and faith in the crucified Jesus. That won't win you plaudits, but it's what we need to hear. If you're here this morning and you've never heard that message before, that's what you need to hear too. Turn from your sin and put your trust in the Lord Jesus today. So the man sounded foolish. So did the method and the message and the monotony of the same message over and over. But there are some exceptions to whom it's not foolishness. So in chapter 1 verse 18 it says this. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For most people this whole thing is foolishness. Something to be mocked and derided. But to some, those who are being saved, verse 18. Those who are called, verse 24. This is the very power of God. This foolish sounding message, this unpopular way of delivering it, this broken record, 
saves people. It's God's method. A method that shows that God's at work. That means that God gets the glory. There's a sense in which Paul is saying, with such a message and such a method, it would take a miracle for somebody to be saved. But that's exactly the point. Actually, those who have been saved have been saved by a miracle. And so the glory goes to God, as that last verse says in chapter uh, 1. So that it is, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This foolish message is delivered in an unpopular way. And it's done by weak people too. So that when someone believes, it is clear that God is behind it. No one can boast. God gets all the glory. And that's why God chose to save people this way. It reminds me of Gideon, where God said that he had too many people to win the battle and God to get the glory. So God reduces his numbers. So it's clear that to everyone that God has done this. This foolish message is the way that God saves. More than that, this message of the cross is the only way to be saved. That's why we can't abandon it. This is a non-negotiable part of our mission. Ditch this, and the whole mission will be a failure. And yet some do. Do you know, we could become the most popular place in town. We could pack this place out every Sunday. It's dead simple. We change from Beach Hill Church to being Beach Hill Cinema. Free entry. I bet you we could fill the place, get the popcorn out. But what would be the point? What would be the purpose if no one is saved? So our goal is not bums on seats. It's souls in glory. And that means sometimes bums on seats will get up and leave because they don't like the message. They stumble over the stumbling block. 1 Corinthians uh, 22 and 23. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Miss this and you could end up with a full church on earth, but empty seats in heaven, metaphorically speaking. Having said all that though, Paul has been up to other things with the Corinthians. That isn't the whole of his message, so to speak. He hasn't just been proclaiming Christ to unbelievers, he's been teaching believers too. Our other points are shorter, don't worry. Second point, teaching the Bible. Have a look at uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and onwards. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. Among the mature, Paul here imparts wisdom. Those who have already believed in the message of Christ crucified, he, he, he imparts wisdom to them. Again, not cleverness or eloquence or intellectual sounding tidbits. No, this is godly wisdom taught by the spirit. Words of wisdom taught by God and interpreted to each person by the Spirit. The very thoughts of God which God had revealed to us, his people. 
The Spirit, as you read on, has made known the mind of God. He's put it in Scripture for us all to see now. The writing of Scripture and the reading of Scripture are acts of the Spirit. The authors were carried along by the Spirit as they wrote, and readers are illuminated by the Spirit as we read. And here, Paul is helping them understand what God wants them to know. And we know by what Paul did day to day, that that means that he's teaching the Bible. That's what he's doing. It's a bit different for Paul in some senses, because he's also writing the Bible, isn't he, uh, as he goes through. But to take Paul's illustration from chapter 1, he's not just sowing the seeds, he's now watering the plants. He wants to see believers grow. He wants to see them understand more of the will of God. And we then are both hearers of the word and teachers of the word. For most of us, that's teachers with a small t, building one another up, speaking the truth in love to each other, teaching in our families, contributing in home groups, sharing something and bringing share. All of us can do that. We are all to be involved in spiritually understanding what God has revealed to us and sharing it with others. And Paul sees this as a vital part of his ministry. That's why he's writing letters to believers. In fact, he only writes letters to believers, doesn't he? To encourage them. He wants to see them grow in their love and understanding. And so he teaches the Bible, and we must too. But that nicely brings us on to our third mission objective, loving others. Okay, we can see preaching Christ in our passage. We can see teaching the Bible there. Well, what about loving others? Well, loving others is the natural outflow of those other two. I was challenged this uh, anew over the summer. Our attitude to others is, is shaped to the extent by which we understand Christ crucified. To the extent to which we understand our own salvation. Jesus told a story to explain this at the house of a Pharisee called Simon. A woman came in and began to weep, wetting Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair, kissing his feet and anointing them with all ointment. And he told this story to explain what was happening. Luke 7. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now to which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he, he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. The more we understand the true extent of our forgiveness, the more that we will love. The more we understand the extent of the rescue that took place, the more that we will be disposed to love God. And the more we love God, the more we will love others. That means it's not just enough to tell each other that we need to do this, to love one another. If we want a truly loving community with love that overflows to the world outside, then we need to hear and be impacted by the message of the cross. 
Because the cross tells us how great our debt was. It tells us how deep our sin ran. But it also tells us of the love that went deeper still. Of complete forgiveness that covers over all our sin. Which pays all our debt. So we don't honour God when we minimise sin like Simon did. As though sin is something someone else does. No, we honour God when we recognise the cross was enough to pay for even our sin. Our huge debt of sin. That shows his grace to its true extent. Because when we minimise sin, we minimise grace. When we minimise judgment, we minimise the wonderful rescue that was accomplished on the cross. So loving community is not the message that we preach. If we make it the focus, we lose the power to see it happen. It's a bit like one of those magic eye posters from the 90s, I don't know if you remember them. But if you focus on it, ironically you won't see it. Loving community is not produced by just preaching loving community. It's produced by the preaching of the cross, by the message of Christ. The cross is the fuel that makes our hearts warm. And the Bible then teaches us how to direct that warmth to others. We'll be thinking about some of those ways in the months ahead, as we think about those themes for the month. So bearing all that in mind, we come lastly to the year ahead. This is the time of year when you think about our goals for the year. Last year, there were deeper partnership, that's fellowship with one another. Bigger leadership, that was hoping to appoint deacons for the first time and for the Lord to provide more elders. And wider relationships, which is basically evangelism and mission. And I do think over the past year, we've grown in these areas. We've grown together as a church. We have three new deacons. And at our next members meeting, we're going to be looking to bring stewards onto the eldership team. We've done all sorts of new things evangelistically, from our Victorian fair foyer to firing thousands of homes, inviting people to church. This year, though, we want to be a bit more targeted, a bit more specific. Thinking about preaching Christ, we want to be praying and working towards one person putting their trust in Christ this year. It may not seem huge, but it's been a while since we've seen that happen. And I think it would be good to focus our prayers on that this year. Thinking about teaching the Bible, we want to be doing more among specific groups in church where there is a need, especially among children and young people. Now this overlaps a bit with preaching Christ, but it makes sense to put it in a section. But we'll be starting this month's Jelly Beans, which is a postal uh, group with Bible stories and crafts for children in the local area. So far we've got five children signed up. And we're hoping to run an event for them later in the year. I'm also hoping later in the year that we'll be able to start a group for older children. The end of primary school, beginning of secondary school sort of age. We'll also be doing other things like moving our barbecue in the dark for Reformation Day to be named at children. And actually on the night rather than being on the Sunday. So the idea is uh, one person and two new groups. That should be a couple of clicks there. But really the focus there is on growing that ministry uh, to children. And then thirdly, thinking about loving others. Again, this overlaps with some of the other sections. This year we're also looking at rejigging life groups a bit. <laughs> this overlaps with teaching the Bible. And I've done a lot of thinking over my study lead. But this year we've got some new leaders coming on board. 
We're going to give them a new name. Okay? Could you believe it took me all summer to think of that? <laughs> if you come and speak to me afterwards, I'll tell you some of the funny ones that have been called through history. Uh, you'll be very glad that I learned something quite simple. But the reason that I've gone with that is actually because actually the whole of church is about sharing life together, isn't it? Uh, we do that together. The difference with these groups is that they meet in homes. So the plan is to call them home groups. We're also going to rejig the locations. I still need to sort out some of the specifics. But the plan is to have a group in Otley and a group in Ilkley, both on a Wednesday night. And then to have a group in Burley and Wharfdale in the middle on a Thursday. Even if you're not in a group, we'll link everyone with a group so that they can pray for you. And they'll be your group even if you can't make it there, if you like. If you can't make it on that specific night, then of course you can join a different group. I'll try to chat to as many of you as I can over the next couple of weeks to work it all out. But the goal will be to learn from the Word and apply it to where we're at. Really, the focus is on those last two mission objectives. But as I say, one flows from the other. But what binds us together in these groups, indeed as a church, is not our shared interests. So it doesn't matter if you're not all Trekkies, but if you are, you can tell me uh, afterwards. In fact, I'd be slightly worried if we were all Trekkies. That would be quite a strange church, wouldn't it? No offence if there are uh, Trekkies there. But it's not our age, or how we dress, or the colour of our skin, or our interests, or our stage in life that bind us together. It's our love of Christ. It's our gospel that binds us together as a fellowship. The word of life which fires us. So that's why these groups will continue looking at the word together. That's why we'll be continuing doing that on Sunday mornings, looking at Galatians this term. So these groups, uh, and this church, is not for people who've got everyone, everything sorted to show off their Bible knowledge or eloquent prayers. These are the people that Paul describes in this passage as the foolish, the weak, the low. To learn from Christ, <coughs> our wisdom, our strength, the lifter of our heads. So those are the plans for the, and the goals for the year ahead. And do you know what? We can't accomplish them alone. We need God and we need each other. I have another confession to make as we close as a church this year, we won't get everything right. Sometimes we'll be hesitant when we should be bold. Sometimes we'll dig in our feet when we should be flexible. Sometimes we'll say the wrong thing and mess up. But remember what Paul says in chapter 1 verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in his presence. As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, well, thank you for the message of the gospel. Father, thank you that we do have full forgiveness because of what Christ has done. Help us this year, we pray, to live that out in all that we say and preach and do. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to fulfil the mission that you have given us as a church. And going forward, we would see um, your glory being seen across this area. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.